global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to live breaking coverage and analysis of the Suffolk County District Attorney's press conference regarding Rex Hureman. Of course, he is now the accused Long Island serial killer. Uh, you can see uh, them setting up for the press conference in the background, and uh, authorities are uh, usually notoriously late. However, it looks like they are uh, piling out uh, to the day it's here right now. Uh, so we are awaiting the Suffolk County District Attorney, Ray Tierney, to come out and make some comments. And it looks like he's getting ready to go right at 1030. This is amazing. Let's listen in. Uh, good, mor good morning, everyone. We're, we're here. Uh, I'm here with our, our fellow task force members uh, to announce uh, the identity of uh, what has uh, formerly been known as Fire Island Jane Doe. Um, you know, on April 20th, 1996, uh, female remains consisting of uh, legs and feet were found on the Bayside shore of Fire Island, about a mile west of Davis Park Beach. Uh, then approximately 15 years later, on April 11, 2011, uh, additional remains consisting of a skull were discovered at Tobey Beach in Nassau County. Uh, those remain, that skull was found uh, following the discovery of the remains of Jessica Taylor. And the skull was found on the same day as uh, the remains of what is uh, uh, commonly come to be referred to as peaches was found on Jones Beach. Uh, in uh, thereafter, in July of 2011, the Suffolk County Crime Lab linked this, uh, the two sets of remains uh, via DNA analysis. And by that, I mean uh, the uh, legs that were found uh, in the vicinity of Davis Park were compared with the remains found at Tobey Beach, and it was determined that uh, it was the same person. Since 2011, uh, that victim was known by various names, including Fire Island uh, Jane Doe. Uh, today, uh, we are here to announce that as part of the Gilgo Task Force re-examination of all the evidence in the case, we are able to identify Fire Island Jane Doe as Karen Vergata, who was 34 years old at the time of her disappearance. And I believe we have a, a, a picture of, of Miss Vergata. I think it's important uh, that we remember and honor not only Miss Vergata, but all the victims uh, on Gilgo Beach. Uh, Ms. Bergada went missing at approximately um, February 14th, uh, 1996. At the time, she lived on West 45th Street in Manhattan and was believed to be working as an escort at the time of her disappearance. Uh, there was no missing persons complaint filed at the time of that disappearance. Uh, in August of 2022, approximately six months after we formed this Gilgo Task Force, a DNA profile suitable for genealogical comparison was developed from the remains of Karen Vergata. In September of 2022, the FBI was able to was able uh, via a genetic genealogy review to identify Ms. Vergata presumptively as Fire Island Jane Doe. Thereafter, in October of 2022, uh, using a buccal swab from a uh, a relative of uh, Karen Vergata, we were able to. Uh, definitively identify her. Uh, prior to disclosing this information, of course, we needed to contact all of Ms. Vergata's family members. And additionally, 
uh, at, a, at or around the same time, uh, we were beginning our, uh, our uh, grand jury confidential investigation into what has been known as the Gilgo Four, that is the murders of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. Uh, so we decided we were not going to make any public comment at this time. However, since that, uh, the results of that investigation have become public and we have made the necessary notifications to Ms. Vergata's family, uh, we, can, we can make this uh, important announcement now. Um, I just wanna thank uh, in particular, Special Agent Lori, Gier, uh, Lori Giordano from the FBI uh, in her work with the uh, familial DNA. She worked in conjunction with uh, our Suffolk County Crime Lab, uh, Don Dollar, Dollar of the Suffolk County Crime Lab, his team in coordination with the Suffolk County Police Department's Homicide Unit. Uh, so I wanna thank them uh, for, uh, in particular for all of, of their work. Of course, I wanna thank our task force members, uh, Suffolk County Sheriff Errol Toulon, uh, ASAC uh, Spencer, uh, Spencer Horn from the FBI, I want to thank the uh, New York State Police, uh, Suffolk County Police Department, uh, Rodney Harrison, who couldn't make it here, and San Chief Rowan is here in his, his place instead. Uh, but I want to thank them uh, for uh, not only their work on this case, but it, for all their work in the task force uh, going forward. Um, it's important to note that there are no charges uh, at this time. Uh, Ms. Vergata's disappearance was in 1996, which is 27 years ago. Uh, we are going to continue to work this particular case as we did the Gilgo 4 investigation. Um, we're going to have no comment on what, if any, suspects we developed at this time. Uh, this is a confidential investigation, so I'm not going to be taking any questions, but our investigation is continuing, and thank you all very much. Uh, no questions. Uh, if you want to talk about, you know, something regarding the Gilgo Four, uh, I, I'm I'm happy to talk offline to you. But today, this is about this press conference is about uh, Ms. Vergata, and uh, you know that we've been able to identify her, and that we're continuing our investigation not only with regard to uh, the Gilgo Four, but all of the uh, the victims on on Gilgo. So thank you all very much. Uh, and there you have it. A very quick, very prompt press conference from uh, Ray Tierney, the district attorney of Suffolk County, Long Island. Uh, it is always all about the victims. And today we are learning the name of Jane Doe, number seven, from Fire Island. Uh, that person has now been identified as Karen Vergata, 34 years old. She went missing 27 years ago. Uh, she was uh, working as an escort living on West 44th Street in Manhattan. Randy Zellin is in Manhattan right now. He's one of the finest criminal defense attorneys uh, that there are. And uh, Randy, what do you make of this uh, press conference? Very short, uh, timely, um, and uh, informative, but uh, no new charges. But what do you make of this? Are they circling the wagons for yet another victim here? From a human standpoint, this press conference was designed as Mr. Tierney said, to honor the victim. However, from a lawyering standpoint, from a defense lawyering standpoint, from a criminal defense lawyering standpoint, this was a very overt attempt by the district attorney's office to cast an enormously wide net. Now that the name is out there, 
now that this press conference is out there and will be streamed and live streamed and downloaded, that is his way of getting out to the world the name and whether or not anyone could say, wait a minute, wait a second, I know something or now I remember something. This was a tip line through a press conference. So now the district attorney has the ability to have people start coming in with tips, with investigative thoughts, with, with possible evidence. And it's a hell of a lot easier than sending uh, law enforcement out into the street, knocking on doors. Uh, Ketchup chiming in here. Tyranny, that is a DA for president. Looking forward to this. Wonder if Rex Herman will officially be charged with Maureen Brainerd Barnes' death as well. Uh, she, he, uh, he is a prime suspect in that murder, uh, but Ray Tierney today, the DA, making it clear no new charges have been brought yet. This is all about uh, Karen Vergata, 34 years old, when she was murdered 27 years ago. Um, Sonny Slaughter, to you, um, Randy brings up an interesting point. The whole world's going to see this in, 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 you know, in real time, instantly. Um, and Rex Hurman, we were talking about this on the show. He's not a guy that can easily sort of meld in. Uh, he's a, a giant of a man, six foot five or six foot six in every direction, as I like to say. So uh, this press conference, what did you make of it? We'll get into the details of what they said in a moment, but curious uh, your take. And, and is Randy right? Are they, is it possible now that someone's going to come forward and say, I remember a six foot five guy with this woman 27 years ago. Yes, I, I agree with Randy. It was very strategic. It was intentional in its face to recognize the victim, but it also was very strategic in a way to get people to come forward and provide information um, from the public standpoint. And um, as you also stated, you know, Rex has a very, um, very overbearing uh, presence now that people know who he is. Uh, they can if they saw him with her or at some point in time, they can potentially connect those dots where they didn't connect them previously. And uh, Peter, I'm going to get to you in just a moment. Peter is a forensic science professor and former law enforcement a police officer in Connecticut. But Randy has limited time. Uh, Randy, uh, Rex Hurman is facing murder charges for uh, Amberlyn Costello, 27, Melissa Bartholomew, 24, Megan Waterman, 22. He's also, as we just uh, read, the prime suspect in the fourth killing of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, 25. Those charges uh, not brought forward uh, today. But Suffolk County authorities uh, made it clear that they want um, buccal swabs, uh, additional uh, buccal swabs uh, from Rex Hewerman legally um, from this, both the state perspective, the county perspective and the defense perspective, what is happening right now? Well, what will happen is assuming that uh, Mr. Hewerman will not consent to these additional swabs, the district attorney's office will make a motion. The defense will oppose it. The judge will grant it and in all likelihood issue what's called a protective order, meaning you can use the swab for this one isolated purpose. Don't go putting it up on other databases. The man hasn't been convicted yet. This is not your way of throwing it into the computer and see what else comes back in. You can use it for this limited purpose and that this limited purpose only. And um, I mean, how tough a case is this, in your opinion, right now uh, for Suffolk County to, to present? Well, I think right now it's becoming a, a rather easy circumstantial evidence case. And I, I think it's important for your viewers 
um, and you do such a wonderful job educating them. But a quick education on the difference between circumstantial evidence and direct evidence. And it's pretty simple. Um, I'm sitting in a room right now and there are windows. I can look outside and I can see what the weather's like. And if it's raining out, I can see that it's raining. That would be direct evidence that if someone was trying to prove that it was raining out, that it's raining out. Let's say I'm in a room where there are no windows. So I don't know what the weather's like. I'm sitting in a room and someone else comes into the room with a wet umbrella, wearing a raincoat and a hat, and that person is soaked. I may not know that it's raining outside, but it's reasonable, and all the links point to the fact that it's raining outside. So that would be circumstantial evidence that it's raining. The district attorney's office has been kind of letting us know here and there that this case is being built right now on circumstantial evidence. They don't have a confession. They don't have um, uh, an eyewitness. They don't have video. They don't have audio. So they're building the case by connecting the dots. The, the cell phones, the burner phones, the connection between the phones and American Express purchases, all that stuff, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and some DNA evidence. But here's the interesting thing from my point as a defense attorney. Right now, there is built-in reasonable doubt into this case because the district attorney's office has worked so hard to connect all of these missing women that it's not limited to these three or these four, or at least the three that Mr. Hureman has been charged with. So if I'm a juror, right now, I already have reasonable doubt. Yeah, he's presumed innocence, but put that aside. I already have built-in reasonable doubt. What about all these other people? I thought the district attorney's office was saying that every one of these uh, remains that were recovered is linked to one person. Well, okay, but this guy hasn't been charged with these other homicides. So I'm already now going to feel uneasy about convicting this guy without more information. So I think at some point the district attorney's office will have to fish or cut bait and, and make it very clear and really drive home during jury selection. Do not speculate about what's going on with these other cases to the extent they remain unsolved. But I will assure you, there will be one juror who's saying, I don't care what you told me to do, Judge. I don't care what I've been instructed. I'm concerned here. I've lived my whole life thinking that all of these cases are connected. And now you're telling me that they're not? Interesting. And talking about speculation, I'm just uh, sticking with Randy here because he has to jump in a minute or two. But um, Randy, there's a uh... 10 plus sets of human remains. That's the way they're phrasing it now. We've heard 11, but 10 plus sets of human remains. Uh, we had some some of the best criminal profilers in the world on the show the last couple of nights. They say they don't really believe in coincidence that this is a dumping ground, uh, specifically for the accused killer here, Rex Hewerman. Uh, just wondering uh, your take on this. And again, the uh, from a legal standpoint, um, obviously they've only named uh, only charged him for three murders and a prime suspect in the fourth. Um, is that just simply right now because they don't have the evidence? Do you believe in your heart of hearts that these eight or nine other victims are are his? I don't believe in coincidences, but look, I'm a defense attorney. I go where the evidence takes me. And if there are 10 plus bodies, but right now the defendant has only been charged with three. As I said, you make my point. There are right now seven other potential cases. And if the district attorney's office has made it clear that there is no coincidence, I'm a juror sitting there saying, wait a minute, which is it? You're telling me that one guy is responsible for this, but that same guy that you're claiming is responsible, you're only charging with three. So if I'm the defense attorney, my point is, 
there's somebody else out there. So you can't possibly convict my guy knowing, as the district attorney is conceding, someone else is out there responsible for, responsible for this. And how do you know the person that's out there isn't responsible for all 10 plus of these? Good point. Um, I always get nervous with Randy because uh, he's a high paid defense attorney. I don't want to miss in court. So, Randy, uh, whenever you need to bounce off, we're going to get into some of the details of the press conference. I'm going to bounce off now because you have such terrific guests and I don't want to take all the air away from the room because you're kind enough to let me have the talking stick because I have the job. Uh, Randy, we'll have you back on uh, hopefully next week or the week after. Uh, good luck. Have a great weekend. Okay. Thank thanks. you. You too. Um, so Pete Massey, haven't gotten to you yet. Let's go through some of the details of this press conference now. Um, so this person whose name we now know, Karen Vergata, went uh, missing on April 20th, 1996. If you do the map, that is 27 years ago. That's a long time. Um, that's when I started my career in broadcast news. So uh, I remember the year well. Um, feet and legs were found Um off of Fire Island, and then 15 years later, a skull is found in Nassau County. This came following the discovery of Jessica Taylor and another victim who's known as Peaches because of a tattoo that she has on her chest. Um, two sets of remains, the legs, were compared with the skull, um, and they were able to use genetic genealogy here to identify this person, Karen Vergata. Let's stop it there. You, you teach forensic science, uh, looks like science uh, wins the day here. That's what caught up with uh, whoever perpetrated this crime for them to be able to identify her. First of all, how important is it to identify a Jane Doe? And secondly, uh, what did you make of the press conference? Well, obviously, it's very important that we identify who our victims are. Um, this way here, investigators can then go backwards and try to put all the pieces together, like Randy said, try to connect the dots. Um press conference was very important because now we've been able to identify this new set of remains. Um, important for the family, important for the investigators. So this connectivity between um, nuclear DNA and then the genetic process is just um, ultimately so important in this case. It's going to be science to identify the individuals, but it's going to be the um, circumstantial evidence that's going to go to trial. Um, Sonny, uh, to you, um, obviously you're a big victim's advocate, and now we know this name, Karen Vergata. Um, what kind of relief must it be now for her extended family? She wasn't reported missing, as is a case uh, a lot of times with sex workers, but they are human beings just like me and you. Um, so what kind of relief must it be to extended family members of hers to finally have this closure? I can only imagine what they are. They're feeling pain and grief, but also um, validation that she just didn't leave and then not ever contact them again. You, you know, it's so hard for, for victims' families to um, become ingrained in such a in, in such a large scale case, even though the DA said this case is not connected, it is immediately going to be the thoughts of everyone, just like we thought that this is a Gilgo Beach murder. So that is also probably painful for them. And it also is a red flag for 
others who may have been in her company, who may have been, you know, working with her at the time and knew her to think that she may have been a victim of uh, Rex, but now to know what really potentially has happened to her because there's going to be an investigation specifically on her case and what happened to her. So there's a lot of emotions around this, not just for uh, everyone else, but the family really is trying to take it all in, I'm sure, and uh, and now, you know, kind of get their thoughts around how do we, um, how do we say goodbye? Because they probably never said goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, and now this is a, the finalization of them not having contact with her. Like you said, 27 years is a very long time. That's as old as my daughter is. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a long time not to know. And Joel, you probably know this and, and Pete, you too. Um, years ago, when it came to um, what we now say is sex workers and prostitutes and individuals and escorts, uh, there used to be a term, and Pete, I'm sure you've probably heard this, where they called uh, uh, NHI. That was no humans involved. That was a thing that law enforcement used to use, and particularly out in California area uh, is where I remember first hearing it. No humans involved. And gladly, we have evolved in a law enforcement lens from that culture of saying NHI to recognizing that every individual has value um, in their lives, regardless of the work that they do. Mm. Um. I'm going to read a tweet here because it's important, and it's from Catch uh, L-I-S-K. They've done excellent work on this. Uh, Karen Brigada, Fire Island Jane Doe. On 4-20-96, legs were found in a black garbage bag at Blue Point Beach in the vicinity of Davis Park on Fire Island in Suffolk County. On 4-12, so originally it's 4-20-96, and then you hop all the way forward to 4-12-2011. Her skull was found off Ocean Parkway, west of Tobey Beach in Nassau County. Her torso and hands were never recovered. She was described at the time as a white female between the ages of 18 and 50, no height or weight estimate ever given. Right lower leg has a three and a half inch scar on the lateral mid leg area, a one inch linear scar on the lateral mid to lower leg and a half inch scar on the medial ankle. The left leg has a two-inch surgical scar with adjacent suture scars on the medial left ankle goes on. The victim may have had surgery. In 2023, these remains, formerly known as Fire Island Jane Doe, were identified through genealogical DNA as Karen Brigada. Karen was born on November 4th, 1961, and was 34 years old at the time of her disappearance. She has brown hair and brown eyes. Um, she's five feet tall, roughly, and 110 pounds. Her father last heard from her on his birthday on Valentine's Day, 1996, when she was living on West 45th Street in New York City. Karen and her family are originally from Glenhead, New York. She went to St. Mary's Elementary School in Roslyn and graduated from North Shore High School in Glenhead in 1979. Um, at some point after high school, she was living in Fort Lauderdale. Um, she has a son, who was eight years old at the time of her death, who is now 35 years old. So I'm reading this because uh, we didn't know who this person was. And you see this incredible history here, uh, Pete Massey. It's kind of giving me the chills, but uh, this is a 
was once, you know, a living, breathing human being, uh, couldn't be identified for this long. Um, it, it really, I don't know, makes you, uh, I don't know, stop and, 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 and really kind of collect yourself. But, uh, Pete, to you, um, can you just take us inside baseball for a minute about, because they said they used uh, this genetic genealogy at first and then a buccal swab to connect the dots. What were they doing here exactly? So very similar to out in Idaho. Um, we have this DNA, this unknown DNA from Karen here. Um, there's enough of a profile. People are putting their profiles up on 23andMe and um, all of these kind of uh, genealogical sites. Law enforcement takes the information. They compare. They find a family member. They then try to get a known swab. And in this case, <clears throat> I'm guessing they got a search warrant to get the buckle swab from Rex or from the family members of this gal, able to identify her. Now we know that her she is Karen Vergata. Um, and and there's... And there's the photo, uh, Space Coast on the ball, putting up the photo. Uh, there's the person uh, they have now identified, Karen Vergata, uh, 34 years old. But no new charges um, have been brought. Um, Sonny, the same question I asked the lawyer to you, um, is this DA um, kind of circling the wagon right now to uh, bring more charges, in your opinion, in this case? I think so, Joe. I really do. I think... Um as as Randy said, there are no coincidences. And it, this is seems like it was a dumping ground and not just any ordinary dumping ground. You really got to know the lay of the land and, and, and where you're kind of going around there. And uh, I, I just think we're going to find out that most, if not many, if not all of the victims in that area have in some way been tied to Rex, including the infant. And the male, because, you know, we focus a lot of attention on the female victims, but a predator is a predator. And he's and this particular predator didn't seem to have a pre, um, predilection for one type of victim or another because he had some um, uh, what the information in the photos and he was engaged in uh, some really bad things with uh, very young children and males. So I think the DA is on the right track. Let's just hope we find out whoever, if he's not involved, that we do find whoever the murderers of all of these individuals are. Yeah. Uh, Pete, hang on one, hang on one sec, Pete. Uh, A. Heineman says her family probably suspected she may have been deceased, but to learn of the circumstances, dismemberment must be devastating. My thoughts are with them. Uh, what were you going to say, Pete? I was going to say, you know, to talk about what Sonny was just saying and then going back um Look, everything from now on, I think, is going to all be related to links. It's all going to be circumstantial. It's all going to be, you know, connecting the dots, as we've said before, from a skull to legs to bones to whatever. And it's all going to, I think they're all going to try to link it back to Rex, whether or not there is any kind of direct evidence to the point. Well, Pete, so, Pete, that's what I was just going to ask you. Um, 
you know, again, we had these profilers on uh, Mark Safarik and Burgess, who's literally a living legend, uh, talking about how there are no coincidences. We keep hearing about these 10 plus sets of remains. Um, do you think it will? I mean, I, I guess you just suggested that as much. But do you think they will all be linked back to this person, Rex Huerman, at some point? I think so. You know, uh, like Sonny said, you got to know the lay of the land. Well, he's living close. Um, we know that he's got this penchant for sex workers. We know that he, we believe that he's been killing these sex workers along the way. You know, there's so many things that point to it. But again, it's all circumstantial. Mm-hmm. And, and Pete, uh, back to you, since uh, you were working the uh, streets of uh, Connecticut um, as a police officer, um, he's been to other states, he's lived in other states, he's got connections to other states. Um, what kind of monumental undertaking is it to try to connect him to potentially other crimes? Atlantic City was one spot with similar murders uh, where bodies were left of, of sex workers in a dumping ground. Atlantic City authorities have come out very quickly and said uh, there is no connection. Uh, by the way, that in an odd way reminded me, we did a show recently on... Uh, women who turned up dead in Portland, Oregon. We're going to do a show on this next week. Um, Investigators were very quick to say there was no connection. And uh, while I was away uh, on my trip, uh, they came out and said that there was a connection with at least four of them. So there is a potential serial killer in in, uh, the Portland, Oregon area. Um, Do you buy it, Pete, that there is no connection in Atlantic City? Are they just trying to CYA, you know, uh, or what's going on? I mean, look, we got a couple of things. One, the FBI has a program called VICAP. So law enforcement is putting all this information into these databases. The databases are searching to see if there's any kind of connectivity or um, linking between Portland, Oregon and Atlantic City and New York, Long Island and wherever else. Law enforcement, fortunately, not the greatest, but they are now starting to talk in 2023 amongst each other. So they're sharing information. Cold case squads have been developing over the last 10 or 15 years, and you know they have organizations. So there's a lot of communication now between agencies. Um, we also have NamUs, the database that'll show um, missing people, missing parts. So there's a lot of places now that law enforcement goes to share that information, you know, yeah, I think it's all going to be related back to this guy. And do I know, do I think that he's been traveling around the country that I don't know? Um, Ketchup is back here with this comment, which is interesting. The victimology of Karen Brigada fits his profile. That certainly seems to be the case. A sex worker living in uh, Midtown Manhattan, uh, petite, all of that fits the, uh, the profile. Uh, Ginger Root, this is important. Um, Sonny, to you, uh, Ginger pointing out Rex Hurman would have been 33 at the time she was found. Uh, everyone I've had on the show said there's no way he only started killing uh, if this was 13 years ago at age 46. Do you believe um, if he is indeed the killer uh, and he's been named a suspect, obviously, by police at this point, uh, do you believe he started these killings years ago, potentially even, you know, way before 33 years old? 
I absolutely believe that. I believe if he is a serial killer, that this started decades ago. Even if he did not commit an actual murder decades ago, I believe that he worked himself up to the actual murders, engaging, finding the um, the type of vulnerabilities for these individuals, and uh, and and he's just. He, along with other serial killers, you know, something I've been studying forever, like most people who um, have this thing about st- serial killers, they don't just start and stop. They don't just like take off like on the weekends, but they are very intentional and very calculating and very aware. And they live among us. Something I've kept, kept hearing people say, these are the individuals that live among us. I was married to a man that was uh, who molested my daughter. And he had done it before. And everybody covered for him. There was no police thing. I mean, of course, you don't necessarily meet somebody and start looking up their criminal record. I mean, you probably should now. But the point is, these are ordinary people on the outside who live very cloak and dagger type of lives. This man was uh, walking around with his co-workers and people didn't know. He didn't just start this. This is real. And his family, his wife and his children, we should not um, antagonize them, not criticize them because they didn't know. Because as I said, he lived a cloak and dagger life. This is not his first victim. And you know, we just all have to realize that this is a very bad case. And Atlantic City and all the other police departments, they do not want anyone to say that they've had a serial killer in their midst and they did not solve the crime. By the way, Sonny Slaughter, you look 27, so I don't know how you have a 27-year-old daughter. But, um, <laughs> Me too, Joe. Stop. Yeah, yeah, but look, uh, I, I am not T-Pain, a uh, friend of the show, uh, to you, and I'll unblock your head in a minute here. If Rex is convicted of the three murders, and this came up on the last two shows that he is charged with, do you believe he will confess to other murders? Do you think he's the type of guy that would confess to other crimes, or is he just too arrogant an individual? No, and, and I, it, I'm glad that question came up because I wanted to kind of go on that string. There's no way he's going to confess. There's no way he's going to confess. This is going to be, okay, cops, pin it on me. That's do what you can. I also think, and and I know people are going to be upset at it, but they may only charge him with three or four of the murders, even though, wink, wink, we know he did more, but we just don't have enough to go forward with those. It's unfortunate for those victims, but we all got to remember he's off the street. And whether he gets convicted for one or 35, he's off the street. And that's what the ultimate goal is. Yeah, it's always a question of justice for the other victims, for the families, but sometimes you don't, you just don't yeah, you just don't have the evidence. Um, Sonny Slaughter, uh, Brian Kupchik, a new name, but I see him uh, in the chat room, so welcome to you, Brian. Uh, don't serial killers, and by the way, Brian said he worked on Toby Beach, I think I saw earlier in the chat, uh, he worked on Long Island at that beach. Don't serial killers usually start bragging and loving the spotlight after uh, they're caught? That seems to be the M.O. Um, By the way, uh, Dennis Rader, we have Carrie Rawson on the show uh, all the time, his daughter. um, He basically came out and said this guy was copying him. He made his own statement about this. 
Um, but what about the fact that serial killers, Sonny, usually do come out and, and you know, brag on themselves? Uh, I don't think that is necessarily true. Mass shooters, maybe that they're coffee, uh, that they're copycats, but not necessarily serial killers, unless they, uh, y- y- you know, un- unless they want to add that to their bravado. I- I'm, I'm not sure whether that always holds true. He could probably say more to that, but I don't find that serial killers often tell the truth about the number of victims and and things they they tend to be guarded um just like they take uh trophies when you when you think about a lot of times you hear about serial killers taking trophies from their victims they don't take trophies and show off they usually take trophies and hide those from themselves you know and keep those for themselves so they can continue to relive the crime but i don't see as Pete said earlier i do not see rex is saying something and i don't think that serial killers, I mean, a very few, but not for the most part. I don't see that. And, and this is a great question here, Pete, from Pinky Blue. Is part of the motivation for a press conference like this a subtle suggest, suggestion slash threat to the defendant to start talking and negotiate a plea in court? His lawyer said there would be no plea deal. But uh, what's going on in terms of maneuvering behind the scenes? I, I think this press conference was two parts. One, it was to identify and announce who Karen Vergata was. Mm -hmm. And then number two, I think it was that, as we said earlier, it was that fishing hook that was cast out to see if there is anybody that may be able to connect Karen with Rex. Mm -hmm. Anything above that, I don't think there was more to it. Um, And again, uh, Rex, back up, like Sonny said, Shooters like to be known. Serial killers tend to keep things close to the chest. I'll give you just what you know, but I'm not going to give you anything more. It's like a cat and mouse game. Um, Pete, back to you on this from uh, Archangel, Archangel 807. Arrested with a burner phone, he was going to keep killing um, it's interesting because um, some of our law enforcement experts said that burner phones aren't as, you know, uh, crime proof as you think they are. Criminals tend to use them, but they were able to develop a pattern. Can you talk about that, Pete? Yeah. So, look, we, we all know that we have electromagnetic energy that reaches out and hits the cell towers. We can start to put things together. Um, credit card data. Mm-hmm. Um, serial number data, uh, activation data, um, you know, it's getting very difficult nowadays to get away with things because of the electronic digital trail, um, that people leave now. Yeah. Mm. Um, Sonny Slaughter to the human side of things again, uh, the, there's a lot of collateral damage, uh, a lot of victims all the way around. And one of them or three of them, are the uh, family of Rex Hewerman. Uh, Asa Ellerip is the wife, and she uh, basically broke down to the Daily Mirror. She's been doing a little bit of media now, saying that she doesn't want to walk down the street. Uh, she keeps hearing the neighbors say uh, they want the house uh, gone. Um, they want the house bulldozed. Um, what about compassion or empathy for these people? We, as I said, we have Carrie Rawson on the time uh, on the show all the time, and you know she still suffers through the, the trauma of finding out that her dad was a serial killer. 
um, if you could speak to the victims all the way around here. I know Karen's so good. And the fact that you are always giving her an outlet, a platform is, is really so needed because her voice is very strong and, and um, powerful about, you know, with that direct connection, you know, Rex's wife and his children, we need to see them as the victims that they are. Um, I know it's probably hard for people to think, well, how could they not know? And years ago, I used to have that saying, well, I would do this and I would know that if it were me until it's actually you. And one of the things I want people to think about is that they had one kind of life until Rex got arrested and this woman realized that she was sleeping and have given birth to children of an alleged serial killer. Her trying to take that all in is going to take decades. And when I say decades, I am 20 years out of not feeling guilty for not from the public view, but from just having children with a person who was a predator, in our case, never made national news. I can only imagine what she feels inside as a human being, as a woman, as a person who is the mother of two children, one who I believe has some learning disabilities, and she is doing everything that she can to keep her sanity, to keep her composure, and to be a protective mother. And I think we need to all give her grace. I think we need, if you pray, you need to pray for her. You need to pray for his children because they will live with the scars of this long after the spotlight has gone. And we as a society need to wrap our arms around them because you don't know what kind of pain this is until you have been in their shoes. Well, she did not know. And you got to remember that Rex has had years upon years to craft his skills, mm -hmm. to hone the ability to to hide this, to to develop that two personality, the home personality, and then the outside, well, maybe three, the work personality, the home personality, and then the predator personality. Um, yeah. Um Lucy Bell here. Uh, Sonny, back to you. I think this is actually a very important comment. I would love to see the language used for victim shift instead of labeling them sex workers. By the way, the media falls in the trap of doing what everyone else in the media is doing. They lose their uh, individual minds a lot of times. So everyone just now calls them sex workers. And I'm guilty of that, too. Uh, instead of that, can we please say women followed by stating the common thread of working as escorts, do you think that uh, needs to change, that we uh, should not be calling them uh, just sex workers uh, across the board, Sonny? I just jumped in and told Lucy Bell, I agree. Thank you for your comment, Lucy Bell. It doesn't matter what kind of work these women did. These, uh, let me just say what kind of work victims of Rex did, because some may be women, some may be men, but we don't need to call them sex workers, okay? We just need to think of them as human beings. Whatever they did to survive is one thing. They did not deserve this. And we should really stop use, labeling individuals and taking them 
putting them in a different spotlight because they did this particular work that they were victims. That is not true. And we need to just change that. All of us, everyone. Um, it's so degrading when we when we continue to do it. And 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 I know we kind of do it out of like Joel, what you said, because you know, we kind of get it's just consistent and, and we kind of follow through with everyone else, but we need to be the culture that we want to see and change the type of labels that we um, put on people. They're just victims and they were women who worked. Uh, whether you approved of it, that doesn't even matter. Hmm. They were doing what they needed to do to survive. May, may I jump in real quick? I, I agree with you all, except for one little piece. I do think we need to classify them as sex workers only because I know what you're going to say. Yeah, it, it just shows the target mm -hmm. of the kind of people or the type of people that the predator was going after. And, and I agree. I, he, when 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 I heard you say just the very beginning, I was like, yeah. And 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 I get that because of the vulnerabilities for the way he targeted. And you are correct about that. And, and, yeah. and for the the jury to understand when it gets yeah. to that. You know, so I, th there are some important pieces or, or some important places to use that term. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, right. Royal Castriata with a super sticker. If New York State applied the death penalty, which they do not have, they could have used that against Rex to provide more info. Uh, he has no incentives to cooperate now. Pete, do you agree with that? Do you think no. that would have been a factor? No. No. Again, I'm not a psychologist kind of a guy, but again, this is somebody who is not going to give up information. And, okay, incentive, who cares? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Eve said to hit the like button, and she took her own comment down there. How about that? Uh, <laughs> back, back to you here. Um, prosecutors say that they've already uh, have a DNA link to Rex Hurman from a hair found on the body of 22-year-old uh, victim Megan Waterman, uh, how important is that single hair to you? Oh, that's the link. Mm -hmm. You know, other than that, it's all, as we said earlier, circumstantial. Yeah. Now we can actually show a physical link between perpetrator and victim, which is huge. And and Sonny, uh, they were in court um, on Tuesday, Rex Hurman and his attorney, and said that there would be no plea deal. Um, are you surprised by that, that uh, he's standing his ground here, uh, so to speak, and uh, isn't budging at all? No. I mean, you know, this is uh, this is what he would do. He wants them to prove that he is the serial killer. He is not going to say, oh, yeah, I did this. And yeah, he said, come get me. If you think you got me, come get me. By the way, I saw, I saw a lot of people saying that this is Peaches. As far as I understand it, this is not Peaches. Uh, Karen Brigada is not Peaches. Peaches, uh, whose remains were discovered, I think, back in 97. Uh, she was an African-American woman. Uh, she became known as Peaches because of a uh, tattoo that has a bite mark uh, out of it on her uh, chest. Uh, and then they uncovered the remains of a toddler Um I was about two years old through DNA testing that confirmed to be that DNA testing confirmed to uh, that Peaches was the mother of this toddler. Uh, to you, Pete, um, this toddler and there's an Asian male uh, remains discovered as well. They're the two outliers. They don't fit the 
victimology? Do you think that they were, uh, so to speak, collateral damage? Uh, do you think that maybe uh, Peaches showed up with a child um, because she had no one to care for that child? Well, let me go to the male first. Um, it's not uncommon to have transvestite, mm -hmm. transsexual, whatever term you want to use in, in, in this day and age, um, dressing, acting as prostitutes or sex workers. Um, we've had cases in Connecticut where they thought they were picking up a female. It turned out to be a male and it ends up in a homicide. Um, so I, I, I have a feeling that that's where he kind of fits in. You're right. The, the, the other female peaches and the baby are true outliers and whether or not it is connected to Rex or not, you know, it, it's going to have to play out. Um, your scenario that you, you presented there could be, you know, de so desperate for money. I don't have daycare. Um, mm -hmm. It will be interesting to see DNA wise, if they can determine who the father mm -hmm. of that baby is. Yeah. Very interesting. That's, That's great. good. Pete. Oh, look at you, Pete, trying to add a little spin on there. <laughs> yeah, no, I would be. Uh, it would be great to uh, find that information out. Um, let's go over some of the evidence, and then we'll wrap it up. I appreciate, uh, of course, Randy Zellen and Sonny Slaughter, Pete Massey, all being here. Um, investigators, after searching the house, Sonny, for almost two weeks, say that they found a massive amount of uh, evidence in the home. Uh, they wouldn't mention anything about trophies specifically. Uh, serial killers oftentimes keep trophies. Uh, do you think that we'll find out that he did have them in that house? I think so. I think, and, and maybe not a lot in that particular house, but I think they're going to find some evidence. But uh, we should all like uh, kind of slow down. It's going to take a very long time. I've been saying out in the public, we don't want any of the law enforcement investigative efforts to go fast. We want them to be done right and to be done well and to be done accurately. So I think they're going to find something. Um, and hopefully they found all of the locations that he has access to. And we don't know that yet. Mm. And, uh -huh. and and that's an important piece because there may be storage lockers where he has stored those um, trophies. And, and they were searching a storage uh, yep. facility in Amityville. We don't know <laughs> what they found there. Uh, Ginger Root, uh, interesting. Asa Ellerup and Rex married in 96, the year Karen was found. Just shows how good he was at his double life, assuming that there's a connection there. Uh, again, they have not brought charges, so we have to be careful there. Um, but, uh, Pete, how good are these serial killers at compartmentalizing their lives? On the one hand, he's an architect. He goes to work every day with his briefcase. On the other <laughs> hand, at night, he's, you know, dealing with uh, engaging with sex workers and murdering them. You took the word out of my mouth. I was just going to say these folks are extremely gifted, if you will, in compartmentalizing their lives. They can be chameleon is the best word. They can be whomever they want to be at any given time. And, and again, the longer he goes, the more that he's able to hone his skill, the more he sees that he gets away with it, the more that he starts to become a little bit more aggressive, assertive, um, free for all, whatever wording you want to use there. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Sonny, we had a psychologist, Dr. Joni Johnson on, who, who said it was really interesting because when you look at his house, it's basically in shambles. It's run down. It's the only run down house. But he had a very you know good job, a good paying job as an architect. And she said it, it's a metaphor for kind of the double life that he lived. Um, what do you make of the fact that he kept his house in such seemingly poor condition, uh, but you know, they were talking about how uh, Playboy magazine was brought out of the house as evidence uh, from 1984, and it was in mint condition. So the things that he held close <laughs> kept in good good shape, the things that were important to him, but those that were not, uh, I guess his house was not that important to him. You know, when I saw the condition of the home and even the condition of his wife and his children, and I said, yeah, there's a lot going on there. You know, if you want to have a lot of clutter around and keep it, this this was uh, true even of my uh, aunt. She used to keep a lot of stuff, a lot of junk. And that I always attributed to some kind of mental mental instability there. And he did not care anything about his wife and children. He did not care anything about his life. And I'm sure he didn't bring people that he worked with back to his home. His home is the outlier in the entire neighborhood. If you looked at that area and it's just like, this is how you were living. So he had some very clear boundaries about who he was as an individual on, on, in one way, like he said, you know, he was a chameleon and what he found, like you said, was very important to him. And he did not care about, um, uh, his presence in in a, in a neighborhood where he lived, he only cared about his presence where he seemed to work and the things that were important to him. And you, can see the, strange. you can see the hierarchy of the value of these different things in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, presumably the home, the family life was at the very bottom, his work and his activities. Yeah, sadly, it looks like his kids were pretty low on the uh, on the totem pole there. Um, yeah. Anna Lissette, Dr. Catherine Ramsland uh, has described the Q personality, whichever side is up. That's what people see. Dad, husband, church member, worker underneath. There is always a killer, uh, but yeah. no one sees it. So that goes to the point of being able to compartmentalize. Uh, Pete, back to you uh, real quick. Um disturbances were found in the ground, according to investigators. Uh, what do you make of that? They ran their GPR. They found anomalies in the ground. It could be anything from a septic tank to a compartment uh, sealed vault down in there. So they've made a determination, apparently, that there's nothing there. They haven't dug anything. So no harm, no foul there. Yeah. Mm. Um, also, um, they say that there was a vault in the home, um, and there are reports about a mattress being in there. Although the DA, uh, Ray Tierney, who we just heard from said, uh, he would not confirm nor deny uh, a mattress, but Sonny, what about the fact that most people don't have vaults, uh, that you can walk in, in the bottom of your house? Uh, no. And you know, he is, he was such a strange individual. But when you look at his wife and his 
okay, we're visual individuals and people. And when you look at his wife, the condition of the home and everything, you have to think that she was she was a vulnerable victim of his. She was she probably didn't ask a lot of questions or anything, because if I was married to someone and he had a, a vault in the basement, I'm like, what, what are we doing with this? And and why don't I have access to it? So I, I just think um, he did a lot of strange things, but he was not married to a person who was ever going to question anything that he did without it, you know, coming back on her. So I, I just think he who has those kinds of things. That's just disgusting. And then to tag on to that, Sonny, you know, was she afraid of him because of his physical size? Mm-hmm. Or was she just not mentally mm-hmm. able, you know, he, he he specifically chose a woman who, you know, mental capabilities are much lower so that he can dominate this individual. That's what I was thinking too, Pete, based mm-hmm. on her conversation, like that I've seen her do some interview and I was like, huh, yeah, there, there's something mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, Lou LaMarocco gives us a uh, super sticker here. A huge problem not to be overlooked is human trafficking linked to this case through escorts. These are federal crimes, mm-hmm. many committed by the suspect. No one is talking about this extremely important key. Pete, anything to add to that? Look, they're going to go state first. Mm-hmm. If they decide to go federal, if they find something cross state lines, if there's some sort of federal crime, they'll go federal. But I think this is going to be much easier handle in the state courts. Yeah. By the way, Baby Doll commenting on the uh, chief everything officer, mom of three looking snatch. Good job, Joel. Never heard of the word snatch. Shows you that I'm now getting old. I feel like my dad now. You haven't heard the snatch. Okay, I'm I'm going to have your my children call Uncle Joel. Let me explain (laughs) these terms. I have I have the uh, young adult children, so they can talk to you about how does how does this happen? One day I'm in high school, the next day I don't know certain words. I also never heard of T Pain the rapper because we got I am not T Pain, but somehow I don't know. Oh yeah, Pete. Yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 he, Pete knows. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, yeah, Brian Kupchak says here, William Baldwin said he knew Rex in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, they went to high school together. So it just goes to show you that evil lurks among everyone, yeah. including uh, Hollywood celebrities. Uh, Pete, what do you make of this vault and this mattress? And then we'll start to wrap up, get some final thoughts. Again, if it was really there, it doesn't surprise me. You know, family goes away. There's no way this woman is checking out this house. Kids don't seem to be all there. Um, this guy is secretive. Maybe he put this vault down there. Maybe he's bringing his um, worker people there. Um, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, special thanks to Randy Zellen, who joined us at the beginning. He's a New York-based uh, former prosecutor turned criminal defense attorney. He's one of the best around. Uh, more than 30 years experience. He tried cases at both the uh, DOJ and the SEC. And then, of course, the woman in yellow doesn't look a day over 27. That is Sunny Slaughter. She's the founding and managing principal of Sunny Slaughter Consulting. She's been called the master connector and the Olivia Pope of crime. Uh, she was featured in Women Leadership Magazine USA as one of D.C.'s top 25 women business leaders in both 2020 and 2021. 
Uh, she's also a TEDx speaker and a federally certified law enforcement instructor. Uh, where do we go from here, Sonny? I think we are going to uh, see some very long investigative work play out. We're going to see some more identification of victims in uh, the Gilgo Beach case. And uh, do not expect this to go to trial right away. So not not this year. Absolutely not. Maybe sometime late next year. There's a lot. There's a lot of things to process. So uh, I think we should just stay tuned. And uh, Pete Massey coming back to us uh, now, a friend of the show. He started his career at the Hamden, Connecticut Department of Police Services, rising to the rank of detective. Uh, he retired back in 2003 after more than 20 years. Uh, became a teacher at the Henry C. Lee Institute of Forensic Science and is currently a professor uh, at the University of South Florida at St. Petersburg. Same question to you, Pete. Where, where do we go? Where does the investigation go from here? I'm going to tag on with Sonny. It's going to be a long haul. They're going to come up with more identifications as they start to work the DNA. Um, I know Don Dollar personally. Their lab is top notch. They're going to start pumping stuff out. Um, and we just got to wait. Yeah. So uh, it is double duty for me today. I'm going to be back at 5 p.m. Great Scott to True Crime Phil with the great Detective Phil Waters. He investigated over 400 homicide cases for the Houston PD. We're going to dig into this uh, with those guys, get their perspective on all of it, as well as uh, former FBI Special Agent Scott Duffy. Uh, that makes up uh, Great Scott is your True Crime Phil. Um so we're going to have them on at 5 p.m. Eastern tonight. Come back for that live show. And then Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, we are looking to do some uh, out-of-this-world stuff related to UFOs. Oh, That's wow. uh, something I'm interested in. And uh, Sunday evenings, um, we're going to look at, at some of that. So uh, working to line up some guests for that show. The work here at STS never ends. But we uh, we love it. Love you, America. Love you, Washington, D.C. Love you, Tampa, and Connecticut. Until next time. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up 
for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 